And let's pray and ask for the Lord to be here with us this morning as we open up his word and seek his heart. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. Now that you give us the opportunity to gather together as your people. And Lord, as we come and we open up your word this day, we, we would ask that this would not be just some dry, dead, religious thing that we do, but rather, God, you would breathe life upon it, that you would meet us here in this moment. Or that as we open up your word, you would give us the grace to hear your voice. God, not even just in the words that we read, certainly, Lord, that, but also in your still small voice that seems to find its way in the midst of what is said, in the midst of what we hear today, God, we ask that we would hear your voice reverberating. You hear your voice, God, in the midst of what is said. Let us, let us hear you. Let us receive your word. But God, more than that even, we would, we would go so far as to ask that we would be able to, to be obedient to your word. God, give us the grace to do what it is that you've called us to do that we might glorify You, that You might come and fill this place, fill our lives, fill our world, that You might be glorified, magnified, and exalted. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Alright, we've been looking uh, at John chapter 15, so we're going to go ahead and jump right there. we got a, a lot to get through, so we're going to go ahead and get to work this morning. This is John chapter 15. We're going to read 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible or you have one of those fancy flat screens you hold in your hand, uh, you can follow along with us on that as well. So this is John 15, 1 through 11. It says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I want to read that last verse again. It says, these things, everything that we just read, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So we've been kind of exploring this concept in a series we're calling Further Up and Further In. What we're looking at as we look through this series is really the idea that we have been united to Christ, that we have been joined with Him in this abiding relationship, but that that abiding is not meant to be some kind of stationary, stagnant, boring, isolated thing, but rather a growing, exploring relationship. That we ought to be going further up and further into the kingdom, 
further up and further into the ramifications of the gospel in our lives. If the gospel is really true, what does it mean to our lives? So we've been looking at that. So here's what I want to do real fast. I want to recap that whole, ver- that whole passage here as quick as I can, try to tie it all together to help us remember where we are so that we can go where we need to go. So as branches abide in the vine, we're called to abide in Christ. That means we rest, trust, we rest in Him, trust in Him, put our faith in Him, stay in Him. We don't kind of in Him for a little while and then out of Him for a little while. We don't kind of put part of us in Him and part of us out of Him. It's not like this is the part that I give to Jesus and this is the part I keep for myself, but rather we fully and totally abide like a, a branch abides in a vine. And because we abide, we now are qualified to be pruned by the Father. We're qualified for the work and the, the, the pruning, the cutting, the, the disciplining that is ours as sons of God in the Son of God by the Father who is the vine dresser. As He prunes us, the Scriptures tell us He does that so we might bear much fruit. Now we produce fruit, Jesus tells us, only when we abide in Him. And then He says, He he opens it up, He unpacks it a little bit more for us. He says, you abide in Me, and as you abide in Me, My Word is going to begin to abide in you. So His Word begins to abide. So now we have this, this mutual abiding that's happening. We're resting in Him. We're trusting in Him. We're not trusting our own abilities. We're not trusting our own goodness, righteousness, uh, abilities. We're not trusting our performance. Come on, we're trusting His perfection. Right, church? And as that's happening, we begin to produce fruit. As that's happening, as this abiding is happening, we begin to produce fruit. And as this fruit is being produced, what's happening is impossible things are becoming possible. Invisible things are becoming visible. His invisible kingdom is beginning to take shape in our visible world. That's the fruit that Jesus is talking about here. Lives are transformed. Cities are changed. Come on. The kingdom is advanced, the church is built, disciples are made. This is what we're, we're talking about here. Jesus is using really fruity language. Uh-huh. But ultimately, that's what he's talking about here, right? And all of this happens, Jesus says, in an atmosphere of love. The channel then becomes the channel of faith, and the product becomes fruit. And all of this happens so that the Father might be glorified, and we might be filled with joy. Now, now here's the problem. If you've hung around Christians very long, those things probably sound like mutually exclusive options. Right? Like either I can be happy or Jesus can be glorified, but neither the two show me. Right? Like, like if it doesn't suck for me, it's probably not glorifying God. If I like it, it's probably bad. Right? Anybody else raised in that church or is it just me? And Jesus here is saying, no, you don't understand. Your, your ultimate purpose is fulfilled and therefore you are filled with joy when you make much of the Father. Nobody ever drinks a glass of wine and goes, man, that vine is just amazing. When the vine dresser gets the glory, right? I've never, I've never eaten an apple and gone, man, that tree is so good. No, I talk all the time about how awesome the apples are from Green Bluff, right? Those that, that tend get the glory. What Jesus says is this, your ultimate purpose is fulfilled when you glorify the Father, and because your ultimate purpose is being fulfilled, you are filled with the most true, the most real, the most complete sense of joy possible. I want us to grab a hold of that. It's going to be important this morning. There is joy set before us. 
So what we've seen as we've looked through this passage is we've kind of uncovered as we've dug into this that faith really becomes the, the channel through which all of this takes place. Faith becomes the, the key ingredient, you could almost say. And so we saw this in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That's the channel. So grace is the power. Faith is the channel. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You're grafted into the vine because the Father chose to. And we're grafted into Him. We're, we're, we're abiding in Him. So from faith, we then kind of jumped to the chapter that most of us, if you hung around the church, probably have heard about before in this whole idea of faith, and that is Hebrews chapter 11, written by the original author to try to convince his original readers that God has always called us, come on somebody, to live by grace through faith. The way we've kind of worded that for this uh, series is this, that the path further up and further in is the ancient path of faith. We're not looking for something new and shiny and sparkly to, to distract us with, right? We're looking for the old path that God has always used. Now, it's new to us, so we're excited about it, but it's always been the way. And so what the writer of Hebrews does here is he, he shows us all these saints in the Old Testament. He's like, look, they always lived this way. They always had their relationship. They always had their foundation by grace through faith. Faith has always been the path. This is uh, the, the message paraphrase of the Bible. For Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, this kind of gives us a working definition for faith. It says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. By faith, we see the world called into existence by God's Word what we see created by what we don't see. God has always been about the path of faith. Even in creation, even in the very beginning, it was through faith. It was an obedient response to His Word that caused everything to come into existence. So now we're going to go ahead and jump to Hebrews chapter 11. We've been making our way through this. I'm not going to go through every one that we've looked at so far. I want to get to this kind of very thick, chunky, meaty passage that we need to to get through this morning. This is Ephesians, or, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, 17. I believe we're going to go through verse 22. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And by faith, Isaac evoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Those were his sons. Now by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. That's his sons, these are his grandkids. Bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Okay, I want to kind of... Make sure we all are on the same page when it comes to these guys we just talked about. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then, and then the writer of Hebrews kind of tacks on Joseph here, and we'll see why in a minute. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob literally become kind of the distinguishing mark of God. 
So much so that when, when trying to identify, well, what God are we talking about? In the, in the day when the scriptures were written, uh, the gods were much clearer, the idols were much more clearly labeled. And so when you said, well, God, people went, which God? Well, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are like the heavy hitters of the Old Testament, right? These are the first guys that really start, we, we start establishing not just a general relationship with all people that God has, but a specific relationship with a specific people. And these are the people. These are the guys. These are, these are the mondo big guys here. And Joseph is really used by God right after Jacob, one of Jacob's sons, and he's used by God to save, check this, he saves not only one nation, but two. Literally, the whole nation would have fallen and, and, been, and been lost had it not been for the work of Joseph. These are some pretty big deal guys, is I guess what I'm trying to say. These guys are, are a big deal. And here's what I want us to try to see if we can this morning. Even though these guys are a big deal, even, the, even though these guys have a lot going for them, when we read this passage we almost can get the, the picture of the opposite of this. Because here's the thing. We say this a lot around here, so help me out if you're with us a lot. It's all about... You guys are so good. You guys cheated though, didn't you? You read the stage. Uh, it's all about Jesus. Now, we, to try to tie this together here, I want to try to do this as quick as I can. So we've got abide in Christ, abide in the vine, and produce fruit to glorify the Father. And then we have this idea of, of these, these guys living by faith. And the thing that ties it together is that their lives and our lives are called to make much of Jesus. To make much of the Father. To be empowered by the Holy Spirit. To bear fruit by abiding in the Son for the sake of the Father. And what we need to understand, and I... I struggled, I wrestled, I'm being honest with you, I wrestled with this message all week because I, I love you and I want you to stick with me because I promise you we're going somewhere good. But here's what you need to hear, and I love you. Fundamentally, if you believe it is all about Jesus, then it is not all about you. And what we see in this passage in Hebrews is that these guys understood that it was not about them. So it's not about you. Let's, let's look at Abraham here. So Abraham, just to make sure we're all kind of on the same page, Abraham is an old guy. God promises him kids. And Abraham's like, um, I don't know if you understand this, but my wife and I are old. Translation, nothing works anymore. Okay, And we can't have kids. All right, this, That doesn't happen for us anymore. And God says, don't worry about it. You're going to have a son. Long story short, he ultimately has a son. He has his son Isaac. And, and, and he's excited and he's filled with joy and he finally has a son. God has promised him things and fulfilled promises to him. And, and now he has a son that he can leave all of that to. And then God says, you know, you know that son I just gave you? I want you to take him up a mountain and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Because you know what? It's not about you. It's about me. Abraham is obedient. Let me just put it this way for us. Let me, let me, let me apply this to us. It's not about you. What I mean by that, when we look at this, it's, it's not about you knowing how it's all going to work out. Anybody else struggle with that? Right? Like, Jesus, I will totally obey you as long as you tell me how everything's going to work. Right? You, you explain to me all of these things, and, and I'll go, I, I kind of, this is just 
me being transparent here. I think the reason why God calls himself the Alpha and the Omega is he says, look, I'm going to tell you to do something and I'm going to meet you at the end. <laughs> right? Like, anybody ever felt that way? Like, where are you in B through Y, right? Like, I feel lost in the middle here. But we consider God faithful. We consider God able to make impossible things possible as we obey. So Abraham marches up a mountain with the son that he loves, the son he's waited his whole life for, and he offers him to God. And, and what Hebrews tells us is that he even did, in his mind, his son was as good as offered. So once God sees that, he says, here he is back to you. I see now that, that you don't need to know how all the details are going to work out. You'll put me first. You get that it's not all about you. It's not about you knowing how all the details are going to work out. Amen? You see, pride and ego are not spiritual virtues. We're going to see this really strongly here. So, so next we see Isaac. Now, Isaac, I'm going to be real with you. Isaac, when you read through the Scriptures, almost disappears. Which is really weird if you stop and think about this for one second. Okay? Stop and picture this. Isaac is born to his parents, and his whole life, what does he hear? You're the son of promise. God promised you to us, and he gave, he gave you to us. You're the son. Through you, all of our descendants will be named. It is shocking to me that Isaac didn't grow up like a weird male version of Miley Cyrus and Honey Boo Boo, right? Like how he didn't raise up going, like, I am the son of promise. I'm a man. Like he, his dad had servants. How he didn't walk around with his chest puffed out all the time, pushing people over, I don't know. But yet somehow, what we see of him in Hebrews chapter 11 is that he becomes more concerned with his kids than with himself. He becomes happy to play a supporting role. Right? By faith, Isaac evokes future blessing on Jacob and Esau. Okay, it's not about you knowing how it's all going to work out. I love you. It's not about you being the rock star. It's not about you demanding what is rightfully yours in Christ. Now, now look, we're, we're talking about faith, and so part of my like, secondary motives here is to try to re-correct some of our thinking that we may have been exposed to in this whole idea of the faith movement that tells us that we should puff out our chest and demand what is ours from God. You need to go to God and remind Him what He promised you, like He forgets. No, what we see from Isaac is humility. What we see from Isaac is he's like, I don't need to be the rock star. I don't need to be the one that all of this gets fulfilled through. I don't need to be all this. I'm happy to be used by God, even if I'm not the one that he ultimately fulfills things through. Even if it's in the future. Even if it's down the road. Look, faith is not concerned with seeing the fulfillment of the promise. Faith uh, or Faithfulness and faith is concerned with being obedient to what God has called us to and trusting God for the outcome, even if we never see it, because it's not about me. It's not about me getting to be the one that gets to ultimately be the one that God uses. So we continue down the path. We see that it's not about you knowing how it's all going to end. It's not about you knowing how it's all going to work out. It's not about you being, getting to be the rock star, the big shot, the, the, the mano y mano, the, the man of the man. Come on, it's not about you. And then we see Jacob. Now I'm going to be real with you. Jacob gives me hope. Because if you read the story of Jacob, 
How he got into this list of people is a miracle. Jacob is a thief from the moment he's born. Jacob literally, his name means surplanter or one who grabs by the heel. What they mean is Jacob is the guy at work that stabbed you in the back and got your promotion. That's Jacob. And he made it into this list. He gets to be one of the people that is named when we're trying to identify God. Does that give anybody else hope? Does that give anybody else like a little glimmer of light? Like, dude, if God can use Jacob, God can use me. But here's what freaks me out even more. By the time we get to Jacob here, so, so you see Jacob, Jacob, I, okay, in case you don't know Jake like I know Jake, Jacob sees a pretty girl and then goes to her dad and says, like, I, I want to marry your daughter. I'm not singing the song, don't worry. I want to marry your daughter. I want to I have her. I want, can she be my wife? And so the dad says, like, it's cool. Like, yeah, we can, we can do that. Um, here's the deal, though. Uh, you got to work for me for like seven years. And then he can marry my daughter. Guy loves her, so he's like, absolutely. I'll work for you, no problem. Dad plays a switcheroo on him and gives him his oldest daughter first instead of the younger daughter that he wants. Here's the deal, though. Jacob tries to play this off like, oh, I didn't realize. Really? How drunk were you at your wedding, right? Like, how messed up did you get that the night, your wedding night, you didn't realize you were sleeping with the wrong girl? Am I allowed to be this honest in church? Apparently I am. So we, we have to understand, so, so that's Jacob. Jacob steals stuff that's not his. He's cool with shacking up with whatever. And, and then further on, he tries to rip off his father-in-law. He gets his whole family pissed at him to the point where he can't even go around his family anymore. Family reunions are off the table because he's afraid that not joking, his brother's going to kill him. Not like when your sister broke your Legos and you were going to kill her. This is like legitimate Esau, his brother, was going to slit his throat. And yet, by the time he gets to the end of his life, by faith, Jacob, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Jacob lives a life of faith so much so that he goes from being a lying, stealing, thieving dirtbag to being somebody who blesses other people and who worships God. Okay, it's not about you knowing how it's all going to work out. It's certainly not about you being the rock star. Here's the other thing. It's not about you being you. Well, I'm just being real. That's modern English for I'm just being a jerk and you can't hold it against me. God is committed to your transformation. God is committed to taking you from where you are to who you need to be. It's not about you being you. It's about you being transformed more into the image of Jesus. So it's not about you knowing how it's all going to work out. It's not about you being honey boo-boo and being, the, being all things and all I'm the man and demanding what's rightfully yours. It's not about you being genuine and honest to yourself. It's about you being willing to be transformed so that Christ might be glorified in you. And then we get to Joseph. Joseph is used by God to save, like I mentioned, two whole nations. I wish I had time to go into all these stories more. They're great. I recommend them. They're all in Genesis. It's good stuff. Joseph is used mightily of God. Joseph is a gifted guy. God uses him to orchestrate the saving of two whole nations. And yet, when he gets to the end of his life, what's his focus? By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. See, he knew that God was going to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt 
into their promised land. And he didn't care that his glory days were in Egypt. He didn't care that all of his stature, all of his wealth, all of his success were in Egypt. He said, look, there's something better. There's something bigger. There's an ultimate purpose that my success has been about. And I'm, I'm excited about the fulfillment of that, even if all that I get to do is have my bones get carried there. It's not about you know how it's all going to work out. It's not about you getting to be the man. It's not about you staying who you are. It's about you being transformed into Jesus. And hear me on this. I love you. It's not about how successful you can be. Look, I weep for those of us who think we're going to stand before Jesus and tell him about how great our retirement was. I'm concerned about this idea that creeps into and gets connected to faith that makes us think, well, faith is all about me being successful in this life. Faith is all about me somehow with this superpower called faith manipulating situations to get to be somehow better than everybody else and more successful than everybody else and being able to stand around with my gold underwear, my big house, and my shiny car and go and look at how faith-filled I am. Joseph had all that. Joseph was literally second in command to the biggest, baddest, most powerful, most wealthy empire on the planet. And yet at the end of his life, he looked back and said, I don't really care about any of that. I care about God's ultimate purpose of being fulfilled. It's not about how successful you are. It's not about you knowing how it's all going to work out. It's not about you being the man. It's not about you being who you are. It's about you being transformed into who Jesus has made you. And it's not about your success. It's about God's ultimate purpose and plans in eternity. Come on, somebody. There is a promised land that is bigger than your successful business. I love you. Let me be mean to myself. There is a a fulfillment and a purpose bigger than just this church growing and being big so I can feel good about myself. That was mean. You shouldn't have amened that. That was horrible. No. So here, here's, I promised you there was joy at the end of this. Let me, let me get to this because I punched you in the mouth for long enough. Here's what I want us to see. Jesus said this. He said that as these things, as we produce fruit, as we make it all about him, as we, as we have our focus and our affection pointed properly toward Jesus, he said fruit will be produced, amen? And he said joy will be ours. Now confession. When I was a kid, I was really into theater. How many of you want to give me a wedgie right now? Um, I I was a total drama nerd. I was a dork. Big dork. And I thought one of the cool things we'd get to to, to get to do on stage would be to do magic. Anybody else ever see a magician and go like, totally want to do that? So I learned some magic tricks. I learned like how to make a little ball disappear under a cup, and I learned how to make rings go together, and I learned how to do the... the, uh, the handkerchief into a cane trick, right? Here was my problem with being a magician. There's one major huge rule that you have to follow as a, magi- as a magician. You can't tell people how you did the trick. Here was my problem. I told everybody how I did the tricks. Like I'd impress my friends and then they'd be like, oh, it's cool. Like, no, you don't understand. It was really hard to do that. They're like, yeah, I get it. I'm really impressed. Well, let me show you how hard it is. Like, and then take them to the back side of the table and show. I was miserable. So I'm telling you that to tell you this. I don't want to leave the how you get to the joy invisible and hidden, and you just got to kind of figure it out. Let, let's, let's go to the back side of the table here and see how this works. So I said it's not about you knowing how it's all going to work out. Let me, let me show you this. When you trust Jesus, you're left with only the job of enjoying the life that is set before you. 
When you don't have, when you let go of all of that, but how and what about this? And I gotta, no, I gotta figure out this. I gotta, I got when you let go of all the worry, Jesus said, look, you can't even add an inch to your stature by worrying about it. Just trust Jesus. When you put your trust and your faith in his ability to work stuff out, it frees you from having to worry about it. Now, please hear me. I know that's way easier said than done, but what I'm trying to do is motivate you to realize there's joy waiting on the other side of your worry. We gotta get to that place. When you, when you realize you don't have to be the man, when you take that weight off yourself, when you, when you take the weight off of somehow trying to have to perform good enough to be this great, grand, awesome person, when you let yourself go and go, you know what? Even if I do stress about it, it's okay. Because ultimately, Jesus has always been way more faithful than you have been. We say it this way, trust his perfection over your performance. You let that go and you say, you know what? God is ultimately going to be the one that fulfills his plans and his purpose. I'm not going to worry about it and I'm not going to worry, come on somebody, if I'm not somehow good enough, which leads us right to Jacob. Let me put it this way. God is committed to your transformation. I'm going to say that again. For whoever is struggling in here with the idea that your sin somehow trumps God's grace, think again. If you're struggling with that, now I'm not talking about those of you who think that grace is somehow a license to sin. That's a whole other problem. Ephesians 5.20 tells us that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And that gets quoted to me a lot, but guess what? Romans chapter 6 tells us that just because grace abounds where sin abounds doesn't mean that we ought to continue to sin. Brother, we need to realize that the same grace that forgives you of your sin frees you from your sin. So as forgiven as you are is as free as you will be in Christ. God is committed to that transformation. And ultimately, for those of you who are successful, for those of you who have experienced great and amazing things in your life, take rest and take solace and find joy in the fact that God will use your success for a greater purpose than a new house for you. He'll use it. Did he use Joseph? He used Joseph to save two nations and ultimately to preserve the bloodline so Jesus could be born. I think he used Joseph. But it was about more than just Joseph. And it's there that we find our joy. So my call to you this morning, my word to you, my hope for us is that we might repent. Whether you've done that a thousand times or whether you've never done it before, that we might, we might come to Jesus and ask him to transform our thinking. That we might see that it's not about us. That we might let go of our worry, put to death our ego, embrace his transformation, and allow him to use us in whatever way he sees fit to advance his purposes in the earth today. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. What I want us to hear this morning and see is this. All of this is possible. This repentance that I speak of, the letting go of worry, the letting go of ego, the embracing of transformation, the knowledge that we will be used by God for His purposes, all find their possibility in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It is His perfection and His death in our place 
that enables us to be grafted in as branches into the vine. So this morning, we're going to respond to the word as we do each and every week. We're going to enter back into worship. We're going to pray. We're going to seek his face. We're going to partake in communion for those who have placed their faith in Jesus and trust him for his work in our lives. We open up this table of communion. We take by method known as antiquation where we take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and this table is open to all who put their faith in Jesus. And we would invite you as we continue to worship to take as you feel led. Let me pray for us as we go back into worship. Holy Spirit, I thank you this, this day for your goodness, for your faithfulness. Jesus, I thank you that it is all about you and that it being all about you and not about me Ultimately, God leads to a joy that I cannot experience if I make it all about me. God, would you teach us as your people to put our faith in you, to rest in you. God, not just, not just in some cerebral context, not just in some mental ascension, but God, in the everyday, moment to moment, God, as we step out of this moment into the next moment, God, would you teach us to trust in you? Would you help us to lean more fully into you? Jesus, we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise, all the adoration. All the glory is yours, Lord. We celebrate you, Jesus. Jesus.